If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one will be brought to you. Uh, we like to be in the Word, and so um, we're eventually going to get to uh, 1 Kings 19. And so you can put a finger in there and uh, hold on to that. 1 Kings 19. If you, uh, if you don't know the Bible real well, you can go up to the uh, table of contents at the beginning. You'll have two sections, the Old Testament New Testament. And uh, 1 Kings is found in the Old Testament. And it'll give you a page number to go there. Go to the 19th chapter, which is the largest number on the page. And then, uh, and then you'll find the verses uh, listed below. So... Um, 1 Kings um, 19 is where we're going to end up. So uh, put the finger in there and uh, give you a minute to find that. Part of the reason we're going there is because uh, uh, your pastor is going on a sabbatical. And so uh, we'll be leaving uh, right after the service today. So I was asked if the service was going to end at 11 today so that I could get out of here real soon. Um, you know, uh, we'll see what the Lord has in mind. <laughs> um, but um, it, uh, it feels like I haven't been quite able to really fully encapsulate the whole idea that Sue and I are leaving on a sabbatical. It, at the last, uh, I told you last week that, that there was so much on my plate, I said to the Lord that I, I don't know if I can complete it all. And he answered my prayer so tenderly by adding a funeral yesterday. And, uh, and he does that because he wants us to remember that we can do nothing apart from him, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so it is so true. He is our rest. He is our rest. We don't, it's, not, you know, it's not that we go home and take a nap. It's that we trust in him, that we place our full weight on his completed work. That is where our rest comes. And, uh, and so as Sue, goes, Sue and I go out, it's, uh, it's so interesting because she said, she said something um, a few times leading up to this. She says, what if God doesn't speak? What if we get back uh, on the 1st of October and it's just like nothing has changed? And I've kept telling him, honey, that's not going to happen. He's been speaking to us right along. He speaks to us in this word. He speaks to our heart. His spirit witnesses to us. Yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> then you, you, I don't even remember the line anymore, but in one of your songs, she, huh? No, in one of his songs that he sang today, there was a verse in there. Yes, that's it. And, and she looks at me. She has tears in her eyes. And I said, yep. Yep, here it is. Here it is. He has never left us nor forsake us. He is with us today. Uh, and we need to hear that today. And so it is trusting the completed work of God. It's pulling the full weight on and... Uh, and so, but, but this was the thing last week that so hit me, and I, I had some people come up to me afterwards, and that was the fact, I asked the question, in, in, um, in God's word, when it talks about um, observing the Sabbath day and, and making it holy, right, it comes off from the fact that, that God rested on the, Sabbath, on the seventh day in creation, right? So I asked the question, what was man's first full day on earth? And it was on the day of rest. And it's for a reason. 
because we as humans say, no, no, I got to do something. I got to do something to earn it. And no, no, our, full day, our first day on earth after Adam was created was the day of rest because it is resting in the completed work that Christ did. And, and the Holy Spirit confirms it even more in Ephesians, as we studied last week. Ephesians 1.20 says that he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Christ was seated. His authority was complete. He's seated at the power of God's right hand. He's not walking around. He's not wringing his hands. He's seated because in the completion, it is finished. It is done. Absolutely complete. And in Ephesians 2.6, what happens to us is the same thing. And God raised us up with Christ and did what? seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Because in Jesus, we can also sit in the confidence of the completion of his work. I mean, that is, yeah, that, that, that should be more of that because, uh, you know, we, we are living in a world of restlessness, right? All around us, it is becoming more and more restless, more and more restless. And people are acting out in their restlessness in all kinds of ways. And, uh, uh, and we, we need to realize that in Christ we can. In fact, the word rest in the original language means of calm and patient expectation. Calm and patient expectation. We need to hear that today. Because isn't it restless? Don't you feel that? I do. I do. And so the practice of Sabbath in one's life becomes a lifestyle of learning to trust and follow Jesus in every situation. And it's more vitally important in times where it's difficult and dark. We really know what we're made of when the chips are down and everything goes against us. We have to learn to develop a life of resting in his completed work and in the promises of God because if we don't rest, we're going to resist. Okay? If we don't rest, we're going to resist. So what is the vowel? I got teachers in the room. What's the vowel difference between rest and resist? What's the one vowel? I. I. I is the difference. We have to start looking at ourselves. We have to start looking at our own self-realization and our own ability to solve it. We have to, we have to, to rest is to get rid of, I don't know what to do, I can't figure it out, I'm worn out, and I've tried everything I know. You been there? I have been there. I have been there. And we've got to get past that to the place where we realize I may not, but he does. I may not, but he does. So keep your finger in 1 Kings 19 and go with me to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, we're going to read the, uh, the 13th through the 14th verse.
Isaiah 58, the 13th and the 14th verse. You with me? Sweet. Listen to it. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing what you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Has spoken. Now, what is the heart of God here? The heart of God is not that we're just observers of the Sabbath day. This is not a legal thing. Listen to me. It's not a legal thing. He wants us to be preservers of the Sabbath. Preservers of the Sabbath. An observer remembers, oh, it's the Sabbath day. I better rest. A preserver rests to remember that all of life is about God. All about God. Everything. I was at a funeral yesterday. You know, our life is a thread. It either snaps and we're dead or it doesn't. The funeral was of a, of, a, of a son who passed away and a father who had to see his second child go into, go into the grave. This father has had three, and has three forms of cancer. He's had melanoma, he's had um, lung cancer, and now he has brain cancer. And you know as well as I do, he's sitting there going... Why? Why my son of 39 and why not me? Right? Because it's all about God. Because God is our preserver. And so we preserve the Sabbath. Because life is all about God. Every moment of our life, every second is about God. That's what a preserver does. An observer pauses on the Sabbath because of the law. A preserver, excuse me, observer, I think I said observer, a preserver pauses on the Sabbath because it's God's desire and purpose to do so. It's the heart of God. It's his absolute heart for us. And if you notice, Isaiah lays it out, right? When you're a preserver of the Sabbath, listen to me, this is what changes in your life. It lets you to see the places that you're going. And are they of God or not? You don't go your own way anymore. You go God's way. It, it, it shows you a life that is pleasing to God and not pleasing to yourself or to others. You're living to please God. And thirdly, it's a life that sees the mental clutter and the idle words and the deception that's in this world and sometimes even in our own hearts. And allows us to see the difference. Have you ever, have, no, listen, have you, it, 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 listen, have you ever gone along a path and all of a sudden said to yourself, what are you doing? Why are you here? 
Any testimony to that? Wayne, what in the world were you thinking? Been there. Been there. Been there. Amen. Amen. So a preserver of the Sabbath. You, you do realize we do not worship on the normal Jewish Sabbath day, right? It was Saturday. We worship on Sunday for what reason? Yes! Jesus rose on this day. And so we celebrate that every time we come together, we celebrate that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so, so we, we want to be preservers. And again, no time in history like right now that we need to preserve the Sabbath, to allow the Sabbath rest come into our lives because we live in a very restless world and every single one of us feel it and everyone is drawn by a spirit of restlessness. Amen. Amen. And so I, I promised you last week a picture of Sabbath rest and so that's where we're going to 1 Kings 19. Again, I told you that we would eventually get to that chapter. Uh, but I just I want to build it for you because we do not have the time uh, to study Elijah's life. I've done that before, but I just want as a picture uh, to just talk about this life of Elijah. Um, the 16th chapter of 1 Kings uh, tells us of a story of an evil king, Ahab. It says in there that he was more evil than any king that had come before him. So evil that he, he married a woman uh, that was not a believer, Jezebel, uh, one, one, just one request. Um, we have some wonderful children in, in this church that have been born. Uh, can I ask you never to name your daughter Jezebel? Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not a great name. And, and so, yes, um, this man um, was king over Israel. He, uh, he was amazingly evil. Uh, he, he also made um, uh, Asherah poles and uh, did more to any, 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 he uh, worshiped the, the god Baal, and, uh, which is the god of fertility, um, and he did more, the Bible says, to arouse the anger of the Lord and the God of Israel than all the kings before him. We live in a time like that. We live in an abased time in which, unfortunately, in our, in our leadership of this country, but unfortunately in leadership, even in churches, there is an abaseness that has taken over that is so pervasively evil, it's unbelievable. I have had more conversations um, with people even in leadership uh, of churches uh, in disagreement with God's word. And it is so sad to see that. And so we need this. And so... Into this darkness walks this man. All we know is that um, Elijah is, uh, from, is, is a Tishbite from Tishbe. And basically he's a dweller within the region of Gilead. There is no historical background on him. He pops on to the scene in, uh, chapter, in this chapter, in chapter 17. And... Uh, and he says these words are his first words, which are words that, 
that show you that he is living in Sabbath rest with his Lord because he's living in obedience. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. There's two interesting scriptural sources here that, that came to my mind as I studied this. First of all, I've been reading through the Kings. And Solomon says in the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8, he says, When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. You know, the church has been um, accused of the fact that, uh, that some of the things that have been going on in our world, uh, they're attributing to people's sin against God. They just don't realize that's an ac- accurate accusation. I, I, you know, I've, I've looked up some information about America, and it's on drought. Do you know that right now, 53% of America is under what they call abnormally dry conditions. These are short-term dryness, slow planting, growth of crops or, or uh, pasture, some lingering water deficiencies and pastures or crops not fully recovered. 53% of our country. 36.9% of our country is under moderate drought. Some damage to crops, pastures, streams, reservoir, or wells are low. Some water shortage developing or imminent. Uh, voluntary water use restrictions requested. You've heard those over the years, haven't you? Yeah, don't water your lawn today. Yeah, we've heard that. 36%. 25.9% is under severe drought. This is crop or pasture loss. Water shortages common and water restrictions imposed. 25% of our country. 18% of our country is extreme drought. Major crop and pasture loss, uh, yeah, pasture losses. Widespread water shortages or restrictions. And then 8% of this country, exceptional drought. Exceptional and widespread crop and pasture losses, shortage of water in reservoir streams and wells, creating water emergencies. I say that just for the fact that I believe, I believe in a God who does come against his people that he's called when they sin against him. The other thing that comes to mind is, is Elijah here. And from James 5, it says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. That is encouragement. Because people of God, we need to be a people that pray together. We need to be a people that cry out for our nation, that cry out for the lives of people. I was in a prayer uh, before church, which we have um, every week, and you're invited to that. Um, if you want to know when it is, all you have to do is ask the prayer monks and uh, Mark and Mary, and they will, uh, they'll tell you where it is, and they'll draw you in to praying. We only call it that because they're actually their last name is Monk, so... Um, we're not trying to start a whole new religion here. But, uh, but anyways, people of God, we need to be people of prayer. You know, how many of us have children that have gone astray? How many of us have brothers and sisters that have gone astray? How many of us have people that we know, 
from our work and from our life that have gone astray from the Lord. We need to be praying, people. And the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man or woman is effective and powerful. And so it's time to drop to our knees. It's time to cry out. And so he comes on the scene and this happens. And, um, and, it, and it, there is no. Um, and then, again, continuing in uh, uh, the Sabbath of rest in Elijah's life, the, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to go to Kirith Ravine. And I will supply there everything you need. I, the, the brook will keep running, and the ravens will bring bread and meat to you. And so he goes. And for three years it happens. But isn't it interesting that the, the brook runs dry? The brook runs dry. You know, there's a, there's a belief that um, as the end times comes that that the church will not experience any of the effect of the end times. I don't believe that at all. I believe we're going to. We're not going to experience uh, the wrath of God because in Jesus Christ we've been saved from the wrath of God. But we will experience some of the effect. And I think, don't you think we're experiencing some of it right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, Jesus said that there are always antichrists, right? And, uh, and that we are in the last days. We are in the last days. That could be another thousand years, but we're still in the last days. And it does not matter. We need to uh, realize that, uh, that the curse of the last days will affect us, and we need to be prepared. The Lord says, be watchful. Be watchful. See what's coming, and stay on your knees. And so what does God do? He, uh, he, he then says to the word of the Lord, comes to him and says, now I want you to go to Zarephath. I have instructed a widow to take care of you. And he goes, and this widow has got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour left. And she's going to make a little fire and she's going to make a little bread for her and her son and then the two of them are going to die. And she tells Elijah that. And Elijah says, no, 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 no. First, make me a little bread. <laughs> Say what? And, uh, and so she does, and he promises her that the oil jar and the bread and the, and the flour will never empty. And it never did. Is that the end of the trouble? No. No, no it was sometime later that her son uh, came, became sick and ended up stopped breathing. And um, so she goes to Elijah and says, you know, have you come here to remind me of our sins? Do you, do you ever do that? Do you ever go through a really difficult time and say, oh, you're just reminding me of my sin? Now, there is conviction of sin. I don't want to take away from that. But I don't think every negative thing that happens is, is God putting his hand on top of you and saying, you dirty, rotten. He's not doing that. He, he's... Conviction is always for your restoration. It's never for your condemnation and destruction. Amen? Amen. And so, and so Elijah lays on the boy, brings the boy up to his bed, lays on him three times. Lord, please bring him back. And he does, and it's amazing. Verse chapter 18 then uh, brings us into, uh, into a time in which the Lord speaks again to Elijah and says, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. 
And so as he's on his way back, he runs into Obadiah. I love that name because it reminds me every time that my wife said one time, she says, oh, that prophet Obadiah. Arr, matey. But anyways, um, but Obadiah is, is out looking for uh, water for uh, their, their, um, their donkeys and their horses uh, so they won't have to kill them. And uh, Ahab went one way, Obadiah went the other way, and God providentially brings Obadiah and Elijah together. And Elijah says, or Obadiah says, is that you, my Lord? And he says, yes, it is. And he said, uh, he says, go and tell Ahab that I want to meet with him. And Obadiah goes, uh, time out, time out. Uh, I have no idea where the Spirit of the Lord is going to lead you from this point. And quite honestly, my king has gone to every country all around here looking for you. And when they, didn't, they said they didn't know where you were at, he made them swear that they knew where you weren't at. And so if you are gone, when I say come, he's going to kill me. And don't you know what I've done for the Lord? When Jezebel was, king, was killing all the prophets, I took 100 prophets, put 50 in one cave, put 50 in another cave, and I preserved them with food every day. And so Elijah said, yes, go and tell him, I will, I will come before him. And so, um, of course, if you, uh, you know the meeting, uh, it says uh, that um, Ahab comes and sees Elijah, and he said, um, is, is that you, troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not made trouble for Israel. You have by your disobedience. By your disobedience. And so then, and so then Elijah sets up this confrontation between the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah at Mount Carmel. And basically they, they take... Uh, and make two altars, and they kill a bull, and they say, okay, whatever God that the fire falls from heaven down on, that is the true God. And the people said, that is a good plan. That is a good plan. Seemed like we sang a song this morning, let your fire fall. Uh, well, kind of, the fire of the Lord comes down. But uh, yeah, the Lord is the Lord working. And of course, we know the outcome, and I'm not trying to over, overstate it, but on the other hand, I do want to move on to what I believe the Lord has brought me to in my message today. And, uh, and so in Mount Carmel, they, they, uh, the prophets, they, they call on him, and Elijah, they get to the 12th hour, and he says, well, you know, maybe your God is out for lunch. Maybe he's down taking a vacation. Uh, maybe call a little louder. And so they cut themselves, and their blood flows, and yet no God no God answers, which I so love. Uh, have you experienced that? Have you experienced a situation where something was uh, eminently evil and you came in the name of Jesus Christ and you called out to the Lord to stay the voice of the evil one and he answered? It happens. It happens. It's real. Spiritual warfare, it, it's real. And so... Um, then when Elijah calls out to God, uh, he had first put um, not only the bull on there, but f uh, four times four huge buckets of water that filled the trench and filled everything. Impossible to happen, but then the fire of the Lord fell from heaven, not only burned up the offering, not only burned up the stones, but it also burned up and licked up every ounce of water around it. And the people said, 
He is God. He is God. As you think about Elijah's life up to this point, he obeyed God by proclaiming uh, the coming of the famine. He obeyed God and didn't go his own way, but went God's way. He obeyed God and didn't get discouraged when the, when the river dried up, but continued to follow the Lord, and he overcame the deception at Mount Carmel with truth. He overcame it. And so as we come into chapter 19, this is the life of Elijah. This is, this is a picture of Sabbath rest in a, in a person's life. It's obedience to the Lord. It, it's continuing to walk forward no matter, what the, no matter what, the, what the restlessness that goes on around you, no matter what people are saying, no matter what false ideology that you're, that you're being told is okay, what identity a person can put on is a lie. It is against the flow of what is trying to be taught by the culture, and it is continuing to follow the Lord all the way. But there's something that begs to stop your Sabbath rest. Verse 9, chapter 19 says these words, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and, now he, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, the, like that of one of them. Like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Then he came to Beersheba in Judah, and he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And so in the midst of a person walking in Sabbath rest, the fear of death, the fear of death is what tries to overcome our Sabbath rest. I, I may not be perceptive, but has then there been a spirit of death over top of our country? Yeah, there has. There has change of identity or death of, um, of, of, of jobs. I, I talked with a guy yesterday at the funeral. And he said, I've been, I've been in construction work for 23 years. And he said, my, my construction business is falling to pieces right now. And I'm asking the Lord, where is this going? What you got for me? There is a death that is surrounding us. But this is, I think, where is, and, and, and that's what's happening to Elijah. So what did he do? He ran. Anybody here ever run when you, when you have fear? Uh-huh, uh-huh, so we can relate to him. Living in Sabbath rest, death eminent, run. Right? It may not be physical death, but there is that fear of death. There are two heavenly realities here. First, in regards to um, the completed work of Christ's work on the cross and the resurrection, 
and the authority of salvation, overcoming power against the evil and the kingdom of God. Death is the very thing that Christ died and, ar- and arise for, right? So this point of death, whether it's, whether it's death of reputation, whether it's death of job, whether it's death of I don't have a purpose in my life anymore, whether it's death of a child walking away from the Lord, whether it's death of, of nothing seems to be going my way, it, it, all, it all comes to this, um, that that's exactly what Jesus died for. And that his death overcomes. But the other reality in the heavenly realms is that we have an accuser. And that accuser before the throne of God, um, who rightly accuses us because he knows our sins, um, is where? Where has he been hurled? Here. He's been here. Is that me? Oh. Okay. He's been hurled here. Um, in uh, Revelation 12, 13, it says that, that, um, that, the, that the devil was hurled to earth and he stood on the shore. In, in Job, um, it says, the first chapter, that, that he is one who's roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And there is only three ways we can overcome this. Only three ways. Revelation 12 tells us this that we overcome this accuser by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that we overcome it by our testimony, right? The Lord sanctifies our heart, but it is the words of our mouth that, that speak that sanctification out, that speak that truth of that reality out. Somebody prayed in our room today, said, Lord, okay, I'm going to go out with um, UCAN Ministries today. I've never done this before. I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to people. And this person is afraid. Why? Because it begs death. It begs death. To go to a door and to knock on a door begs death. But when you walk into it with your testimony, how did the Lord save you? You got a story. So do I. And so that. But I notice that when people quote this verse, they never go to the third one. They'll say the blood of the lamb and the word and testimony. Amen, brother, and it's done. What's the third one? That's right. They love. That's exactly right. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Do you know in the book of Revelation who the first listing of the person that will be thrown into the lake of fire is? Do you just want to keep preaching? I'll sit down. You got it, buddy. You got it. But it's it's courage in Christ. Not just pulling your own bootstraps up and just, I got to make this happen. It's I so trust in Jesus that nothing's going to overcome me. You see, the fear of death is what causes us to lose our Sabbath rest. And it is the fact that Jesus said, if you love your brother and sister, your mother and father, more than me, you're not worthy of me. He who loses his life for my sake will gain it, but he who gains his life, he who, he who, who he, no, it's not gain, it's he who forsakes his life 
We'll gain it. We'll gain it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's the whole representation of of death of reputation, death of the, of the direction I want to hold on to. This is my life. No, it's not. If it's your life, you're going to lose it. If it's his life, you'll gain it. So where did the threat of death take Elijah? Fear was the first. Total loss of strength. Can, I mean, do you, are you shocked? When you hear a man who stands up before 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and he proclaims his God is the only God and fire falls from heaven and they took those prophets and they slaughtered them, this is where he's coming from. And yet right now, because of fear, no strength. No strength. Second thing that he's running Running represents the the fact that you leave the place God has for you. Don't move. Don't move. You stay right where God has you and trust him. Third is, excuse me, yeah, third is alone. Um, The threat of death will always isolate you and put you in somewhere where you no longer have fellowship. Oh, I know you go to church and I know that you worship God, but are you in a family who knows you and knows you so well that they cannot, that, that they can come up to you and say, hey, Mike, you're not having a great day today. I can see it on your face. I know you that well. Isolation is always what um, will drive the threat of death. Fourth, this is a tough one, the desire to die, suicide. Suicide is always selfish. It is the thought of, I can't handle this, and so I want to end this to get out of my pain. I'm not going to ask for a hand, but how many among us has actually thought about taking our life? How many? And then the fifth, sleeplessness. It is the depression of escapism that comes from despair of, I have no answers for this moment. There must not be an answer. We lose our Sabbath rest when we take our eyes off of God's completed work. Listen, not only in creation, not only in Christ, but listen to me, in the good work he has for your life. I'm not saying that we don't have to work in partnership with God with the things that he sets before us, but if we do that just trying to do it ourselves and we don't hear the words that God says to us, that you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works and these things I have prepared in advance for you. And that in Philippians 1.6 he says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? God had a work for Elijah. It was not completed yet. And where's Elijah. Running, running. Have you felt that? Uh, Leading you as a pastor, I have felt the times of, you know what, I just just wonder if if this is over with. I don't want to hurt these people. I'm just not sure where this is going. I'm just going to be honest with you. Been there. I told a pastor this week, I met with a pastor this week, and I told him, I said, pastors live on the edge of failure. 
on the edge of failure because of this reason. We can preach the word of God, but we can't apply it to your heart. We can't make you do what God's word says. We have to sit and watch. And sometimes watch you stumble and fall and sometimes leave angrily. Unwilling to submit to God's word. But of course, you know, and as the verses go on, and I hope this witnesses to somebody today, it says, he's in this place, he wants, to, he, wants to, he wants to go to sleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, now get up and eat, for your journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went in a cave and spent the night. I just want you to see God's compassion and his willingness to strengthen you right where you're at. Right where you're at. He is your strength and your portion. What a compassionate, loving God he is. And then I love it in verse 9, he says this, the second part. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What a great question. What a wonderful question. Have you ever been out of sorts with the Lord? Have you ever been in a place you, did, you should not be? Have you ever heard the words of the Lord say, Why are you doing, what are you doing here? Yeah. What are you doing here? Stop it. It's not where I have you. Do you believe that God has... Um, I'll try to be a little less moving. Uh, <laughs> Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? And that that plan was before you were born? Now for you young people, some of you have gone through some tough things where you've had people in your life that you were supposed to trust and they're no longer there. And you just sit there with a violation of the, of the death of trust in your life and you go, this is meaningless. All of it is just meaningless. It's not true. It's not true. Our God is there. And he loves you, he's compassionate, he is your strength and your portion. You can stand up under this, but you gotta keep, you gotta stay where you're at and keep going with him. Do not give up because he will never let you down. He is there. He will let you go through tough times. He did let Elijah go through this, okay? He did let him go through the fear of death. Absolutely did. But it was for a reason. It was for a reason so that Elijah would see that none of what happened was because of Elijah. Everything was of God. And to learn to trust deeper. Because he had to. He had a huge job ahead of him. So what happens? What are you doing here? He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord Almighty. The, Israel, uh, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. You know what I like? God doesn't listen to his excuses. <laughs> I, you know, your child breaks their leg, and it's a compound break. And everybody knows that a weight has to be put on it. It has to be pulled back. The bone has to be set, and it's going to be very painful. 
And the child goes, but, but Daddy, I, you know, I, I, I get what you're talking, but I just, you know, it's just, I, I'm just really not in the mood for this today. I, you know, I've had kind of a tough day, and I'm not, you know, I'm really not in the mood for, like, pain. Guess what? Dad doesn't listen to the excuse of his child. And yes, it causes pain. But it's the right pain because the bone's got to be set. Have you had excuses to God why you can't serve the Lord? Has there been people in your life that have caused you pain and so God needs to understand that you're the way that you are because of the way that you've been treated? Or the circumstances in your life, you've never been given a break and so God needs to understand that that you've never been given a break? The most compassionate thing God has is that he doesn't listen to your excuses. But he loves you enough to keep walking you toward his mountain, his, his heart, toward him. So the Lord said to him, go and stand out before me on the mountain in my presence, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Came a gentle whisper. I love that. One thing I never thought about before, but it hit me, and that's this. God's voice never overpowers the voice of your conscience. God's voice never overpowers the voice of your conscience. Now, our conscience is broken, and so we have to be careful what we listen to with our conscience because there is brokenness there, right? Amen? But isn't your conscience a still small voice? Wayne, that's not what you should be doing right now. It's not loud, y'all. It's just kind of within my soul. And it's just this kind of gnawing, soft voice. Anybody have it this week? I did. I did. Absolutely I did. But God's voice never overpowers I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it just, it totally makes sense to me. Um, My conscience is the training ground for me to listen to God. My conscience is a training ground. It's a voice that you hear all the time, isn't it? It is. Am I alone up here? It's a voice you hear. All the time. Do you always hear the Lord's voice? No. Well, yes. Right here. <laughs> All the time. 24-7. But the Lord, I, um, yes, the Lord speaks, but he speaks in a voice that does not overpower our conscience. And it's training ground so that we hear the voice of God. As, and he says again, so what are you doing here, right? And then he goes through the excuses again. I'm not going to read it. And he doesn't listen to him. 
But he says these words in verse 15. Go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Dave and Lynn are construction people. When there has been a, a mistake in your construction work, which I, neither of you have ever done in your life, okay? I, ever, ever. But my son-in-law, when we were building, um, building, a build, uh, building an add-on to his house, he had set a wall that went like this. The studs were like off plumb with each other because he had not set... He had a lower plate, but he didn't set a higher plate so that he could set the studs in the plate. He just tried to eye it along a very crooked um, beam. And we argued over those studs for a month. You need to change that, Carrick. You're not going to be able to put drywall on that wall. No, it's fine. It's fine. I said, no. He finally, he finally did. But he had to go back, tear everything out, and start over again. God never calls us to run from our problems, run from the things in our life. He calls us to go back into them. And he calls us with a voice that says, and I just, as I, as I was thinking about this and preaching, I, I, you need to hear this voice. So I want to, I want to just say these words. And I just, there's some of us in this room that have or are running from a situation because of the fear of death. And I want you to hear the voice of God see, say this to you right now, you runner. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. From Isaiah 40. Meaning, just like Elijah, you have to walk right back into the wind of what feels like death to you. You have to go like he did right back into the throes of Jezebel and continue the work that I have for you. He will complete the plans. Remember, the one discerning difference between a believer and an unbeliever in Matthew 7, 21 is this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus has a will for you and your life. And he's saying, will you walk into it? And then... As it ends out, there are three things uh, he needs to anoint. Um, Haziel, king of Aram, who, um, who will bring a sword to the sinners. He will anoint uh, Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And also Elisha, some say, Elisha, some others say, the son of Shabeth from Abel, um, Meholah, to succeed uh, you as prophet. And then gives the plan. And then he also says there is a remnant remaining. People of God, um, in this past year, I have had to face some really difficult things. 
Um, my buddy and I stood up in our own classes and made proclamations over things that we knew were not of God's will. Um, and that was not easy to do. I've had to have conversations with people um, um, who uh, were not living uh, in the Lord. And I've had to say no to some things uh, that I knew in my own conscience I could not do because they were unwilling to follow the Lord. It is not, it's not easy. It is, and it's getting more and more difficult. Um, I love the promise that says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those knees who have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. We have a work to do. A man that we have listened to for uh, the past year uh, spoke to us at a conference and he said, When I'm asked what the vision of the church is, uh, what vision that I have for the church, my response is this. Why should I have a vision over something that isn't mine? The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is his spirit that should be leading this church. The Bible says that he is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every, support, every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God has called the peer together to come against the wind of death that is in the air, the spirit of, uh, of restlessness that is among us. You know it. Many of us have lived in that restlessness. I have felt it, and I felt the draw of it. But God is calling us to stand forward and to go back into the wind of it and to be a light into this world. It isn't just to sit in a seat and to be glad that we went to a church. It's the fact that every single one of us have a job to do, a work to do. Nothing. We may not be calling fire down from uh, God onto an altar, but we are being called to call the fire of the Holy Spirit down into this, into this world. And we do that by living our life for Jesus Christ and to following him with our whole self. It's not going to be easy. It's going to get more and more difficult. But I believe that God is gathering his remnant together to be a voice into this world. Listen to me. The deeper the death that you have experienced in your life, the greater the testimony to what God can do in your life. And that does not mean when you don't have a deep depth thing that, that God can't do anything because, but Sue and I believe this, that, that God uh, has to first break somebody deeply so that they can, he can use them greatly. Every single one of us were born a sinner apart from God. Every single one of us needs our old nature to be broken before God by the power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that somehow I died in Jesus Christ and now I live. That mystery is the mystery that empowers us to live our life for Jesus Christ, to go against death, against the things that are, and to live in Sabbath rest confidence in what he did what he did in your life is the foundation of what you bring to other people 
But you have to be real with your testimony. You have to be real that you truly believe that the blood of the Lamb has overcome all things and that I'm willing to share my testimony with others. This Christian thing is not personal. It's not just for me. He wants to explode into the world his gospel, and he wants to use you. All the dark and hard things that you've gone through, he wants you to walk back into them. Don't run from them. And he wants you to tell the world. He's got a job for you. Listen. Every wrong will be righted. Every wrong will be righted. Do you have that confidence? I, some of us are living under the burden of the wrong right now. Your life is like shriveled underneath it, and you just you feel you feel stuck under the wrong. Every wrong will be righted. Can you live that way today? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you trust him? Can you walk forward in the wind and go back the way you came and follow him? Live in Sabbath rest. Don't take a nap. But live in the completed work of Christ and let that embolden you, embolden you to do what God is calling you to do. Literally, you become Captain Kirk. Because every single person goes to a place that no man has gone before. Because it's God's call on your life. He's not calling Mary to do what he's calling Kelly to do. He's not. Sabbath rest. Soon I leave you for a month. Lord willing, we'll be back on October 1. We're going to listen to the Lord. Would you do the same? Let's come back together again. Let's see what he's got for us together. And Jay, I don't care if he gives you a day, a month, a year, or another hundred years. Let's just do this together. That's right. That's right. Amen. 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 Let's do this, guys. Amen? Stand with me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the reality of your word. I thank you the fact that we're not looking at a man who's just got it all together and that he did it right every time because, Lord, that, that we couldn't even relate to that. But we look at a man who came in with Sabbath rest, who, who um, obeyed you and did what you called him to do, and you cared for him the whole way. And then when he ran from death, just like every one of us have been tempted to do, Father, we've, we see your restoration and your love for him. I pray that, Father, that today your word has spoken uh, to our hearts because I know that within the context of the, of the sound of my voice, there are those who, who are running, who have come to the place where they feel like they're at the end of um, 
at the end of their at the end of their wit and they don't know what to do next they're hearing there's a possibility of change in their life but they don't know what that means and that can be unnerving they faced things that they didn't want to face and they felt like they just wanted to go to sleep they they felt like i just i, I maybe i just shouldn't even live anymore And Father, I just pray that even in the life of Elijah and in your word, that Lord, we can hear your voice, that you are the God of all creation, that you are the one that sits enthroned over top of all this, and that we can find our confidence in you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your tenderness in each one of our lives. Thank you for bringing us here today to hear your word for this pastor needs to hear it more than anybody else in this room. And to pray that, Father, that as we walk forward, that we'll walk forward in your confidence, your love, and that, Lord, we'll all hear that each one of us have a job to do. And may we walk back into the wind of what we were running from and go do what you're calling us to do. For, Father, in the midst of that, you bring a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath rest that brings us beside green pastures, that brings us beside still water and restores our soul. For we need it, even when we walk in the shadow of the valley of death. We love you and we trust you. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.